Well, good morning, Olive Branch. We are uh, excited to have coming up this Saturday a guy named Greg Kokel. How many of you guys have heard about the event so far? Throw your hand up real quick. Okay, not all of you. That's, uh, that's not good. We wanted everybody to hear about this by this point. And you know, some of you guys are like, okay, yeah, I've, heard of, I've heard of this. How many of you knew who Greg Kokel was before we told you about him? Anybody? Okay, about seven. Uh, no, 12. Okay, 13. But um, I want to challenge you guys to really in, engage with this. Uh, Greg Kolkel is an actually world-renowned apologist. He has his own radio show. He's, um, he has written many books that we actually use a lot of his material here at Olive Branch in our various courses for evangelism and things like that, especially in our launch pad. And over the years, we presented his materials, even in the youth ministry and places. And we want to encourage you guys that you get an opportunity to engage actually with the actual man. Now, here at Olive Branch, we want to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And you've heard an opportunity to live for Christ by being able to help out with the disaster relief in Texas at this time. This is a way that we share Christ. And uh, we've been challenging us to engage and get to know our neighbors. And as you get to know your neighbor, you're hopefully getting to that point where you've entered into some of the conversations about what you believe, what they believe. Maybe you've gone back and forth. Maybe they've even asked you a couple of questions about what you believe, and you're kind of stumped. You're like, I know what I believe. I don't know how to say it right. It's not that you don't understand your beliefs. It's that you can't articulate them clearly to everybody because you're uncomfortable or for some reason you're afraid of that question or whatever that's going to come your direction. And you're not going to be able to answer it. If that's the case, you're not quite sure who or, or what or why you, you, you've really got these beliefs and how to explain that. This is the evening for you. Greg's going to walk through this story of reality and talk. And he's going to walk you through the cover to cover from the, of the scriptural vision of how reality works and what the Bible is telling us about the world around us. And answer some really important questions like, hey, why does God ex- how do we know that God exists? What's the proof of that? Or what, what, do, we, what do we say about the ideas of hell? and heaven and what about why can Jesus' death atone for our sins? Questions that a lot of normal people just ask randomly when you're trying to invite them to an understanding of Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity also for you, not just to invite your neighbors, but for you to develop this thinking and to understand why you believe what you believe. Too many of us have been deficient in this. You've been Christians for a long time, but you really can't articulate what you believe or why you believe it. And this is a great beginning place for that. Greg will explain it. There'll be a Q&A time so you can actually ask a question or your friend or neighbor can do that so they get a fuller understanding of what's going on. So all of this is available and I would really love to see this place packed out with us, with our neighbors. If you don't have a neighbor, come anyway. Come and hear this. We're going to have Chick-fil-A um, there with uh, offering food. This is an opportunity to hang out, get to meet some other people in the church. We're going to have some games out on, and hopefully the heat will have broken by that point. Let's all pray right now about that. Um, <laughs> And we just were looking forward to this evening to be a time of connection. And say you end the night, you've got some questions, you brought a friend, hey, head on out to some place that serves some great dessert, sit down and follow up on that conversation and uh, invite them into the further uh, conversation as you go. It's great for all of those opportunities. Really want to encourage you guys to be there and to be a part of this. So please come on out this Saturday, 6.30 here in the main auditorium. Greg will be speaking, so let, let's, uh, let's show him our support as Olive Branch. So let's go ahead and uh, pray now as we enter in back into our series here called Labeled. So let's pray. Father, thank you for just these, these, these great times that we get where we hear great speakers and men and women who have thought through these things to challenge us. I pray that you would open our hearts up to learn from them. But God, today we're in your word and we get an opportunity again to be 
diving deep into your scriptures and deep into just the ideas of this world and how your scripture applies to us. Open our hearts as we uh, handle and deal with um, some very thin ice today and, we, and give us that challenge um, deeply and rightly as we engage um, to, to rightly hold on to the labels that you've called us to have and not just to jettison labels uh, for whatever reason. We ask that you just guide us in this conversation. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You know, I know that our, con- our country and our culture is fractured. I think nobody disagrees with this at this time. Whether it's arguing over politics, whether it's arguing over ideologies, whether it's arguing over racism or anti-racism. I mean, there is so much going on out there. It is enough to make you confused as you deal with all the differing positions that people are taking and the way in which they're holding them. Can, wouldn't you agree? It's just very strong. They, people just want to grab onto them and they want to force you into their belief system in some ways. And I mean, this is so deep, it's shown up even in my family. And it showed up many years ago, so I knew it was coming. In fact, it showed up in my daughter when she was about uh, seven or eight years old. Um, We were sitting there one night, I was tucking her into bed, we were having this good little conversation, and then she proceeded to try to evangelize me in believing in fairies. Literally fairies. She had gotten from an idea from a friend to make these little fairy gardens. She put it out front of her, um, out front of her house, and she'd keep care. Had a little cute little flowers and stuff in it. And one of my small group members got wind of this. She's like, "Oh, that's cute. I love it. I love fairies. Oh, she likes this. It's great." So she started writing her little letters from Trixie the fairy and putting them in the in it as she went home. Well, my daughter would wake up in the morning, go downstairs, like, "What's this?" It's a letter from a fairy. And she'd get so excited about it because she was like, there's fairies, there's fairies. And so this kept happening for months on end until finally one day she's like, I'm talking to her about something. And I believe I was just joking with her about something. I said, yeah, you know, I don't believe in fairies. She's like, dad, you can't say that. You just killed a fairy. And I'm like, that's, that's from Peter Pan. That's not real. That's not true. Yes, it is. And I'm like, I'm being a stinker. I said, well, I don't believe in any of the fairies. Thus, I've killed them all. And she's like, no, you can't do that. Quick, clap your hands, dad. Do it. You know, it's kind of like, I'm like, no, no, no. She's like, no, there really are fairies. I'm like, there are no such things as fairies. And I'm only pushing back because now she's like making me have to believe in this. Like, you're, I'm not going to be happy with you unless you believe in fairies too. And I'm like, no, there are no such things as fairies. And she's like, yes, there are. I get letters from them all the time. And I'm like, where do I go with this? All right, bad dad. There is no fairies. That's so-and-so from our small group. She's writing this. She's like, how could an adult be so deceiving? She's so mad and upset. And we go through this process of conversation about other things. And she finally, I'm like, Are you, she's, you know, it hurt and a cry holder. I'm like, it's okay. It's a fairies. You still believe in fairies. Just don't run around telling all your friends they must believe in fairies. And like, you're trying to do it with me. And finally we get to the point. I'm like, well, do you, you believe in God? She's like, oh, that's completely different. And she was just like, that's not the same thing. And so suddenly we're in, we, re, we, we get into this great conversation about God and who he is. But it showed me something. That, that she, her, the way, what she believed was true, the things that she was holding to was shaping the way that she was thinking. There was something in her mentality that was allowing her to believe in these fairies because she was receiving evidence and information about it. And the, the interesting thing to me is that the labels that we wear do very similar things. You see, the labels that you and I put and apply to our lives, the labels that you and I have inside of us, they shape the way that we think. They shape the things that we believe in. It shapes the way that we approach information. 
The label that you will hold to, especially when it comes to position, when it comes to ideas and ideologies, will indeed shape the kind of things that you believe and you accept as true or untrue. It's called bias. There's all kinds of things like this. But really, I want to challenge us this morning that we need to identify our labels in order to see where they're affecting the way that we're thinking. We need to know what labels we're really holding when it comes to labels of position, whether they're political positions, whether they're um, ethnic positions, whatever religious positions, we need to know these to see and examine how they are affecting the things that we're accepting mentally and the things that we're allowing into our lives. Because the labels shape the, the, the way that we think. Now, the position that you hold can often become these labels. What I mean by position, again, are are these various things. At first, we begin to have positions in various ideas. When you're young, you usually don't hold to a position politically. Usually, you'll hold whatever your parents have or something of that manner. But oftentimes, you may have thought about some issue, and you're like, this is what I think about that particular issue. Eventually, those accrue into a a larger position where it's a political ideology or a political philosophy. Maybe it's communism. Maybe it's capitalism. Maybe it's you use the label Republican or Democrat. Or maybe you're here and you label yourself a conservative or a progressive or a liberal. These are all different kinds of labels that we've attached to ourselves, and you know people who have done so. In fact, it can be interesting that we can actually begin to take Christ and Christianity, almost like fill it with red or blue. It's like Christianity must be red or Christianity must be blue. If you're a Christian, you must be of this political persuasion. In fact, it can become so strong that it it, it begins to push people away. Not Christ pushing people away, but a label of ideology. And I'm just going to warn us as Olive Branch for a minute. That's happening in our church. Some of us have entered into the political fray on Facebook. And we've been getting information from uh, from family members in our church who have said, you know, I'm thinking about leaving because of the the way that your members act on Facebook politically. As when you overtly call yourself a Christian, and then on Facebook we yell and scream at each other, we're taking a political label before our Christianity. And this morning, I want to take a moment to warn us, to kind of take a moment to examine our labels, not just political, but also in other forms, in order to show why we get to the place that we've gotten to as the United States and what we as Christians are positioned perfectly for to do if we understand the right labels we're to hold. Now, again, you're going to wind up with political positions. That's not bad. It's part of reality. It's going to happen. The question is a good one, though, that Mark, our worship director, asked himself when he was um, younger. He's actually in high school. He was listening to a lot of talk radio. And one day he sat down, he turned it off, and he started scratching his head as he got out of his class. And he realized the conversations he was getting into. And he said, man, I got to ask myself, am I a Republican that happens to be a Christian? Or am I a Christian who happens to be a Republican? That's a great question. Are you a Democrat who happens to be a Christian? Or are you a Christian that happens to be a Democrat? Are you holding, what label are you holding as ultimate? And that's really the question I want to stir up in us. When it comes to our ideas, when it comes to our positions, what one are we holding first that defines the others? You see, there's another form, not just political or ideological ideas like this, but there's also ethnicity that can play this game. And I don't like to use the word race. I'm just going to get on a soapbox for a minute since I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to get on soapboxes. So, hey, here I go. I don't like the word race. 
I don't like hearing people use it. I don't like that it's publicly used because I'm not racing against anybody who's got a different skin color than me. It's not, there's one race, it's called the human race, amen? There is no races sub under that. There's ethnicities. The Bible calls them ethnicities. It doesn't call them races. We're not competing. We are different. We're diverse. It's beautiful because the Bible loves the different ethnicities of the world, but it likes the gospel to enter those ethnicities, all of them, and point the truth and correct what's wrong and, and lift up what's right. The problem is when we think in the terms of race, it minimizes things in such a narrow perspective. But what we've really done is we've, we've elevated ideological concepts then that become important to us. You see, ethnicity and, and, and these things can become something so fixated on, they become a label. We become America. We become black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and our backgrounds and ethnicities come before anything else. And so the question has to be asked, are you a Christian who happens to be white? Are you a Christian that happens to be Hispanic or a Christian that happens to be black? Or are you a black Christian, a Hispanic Christian, a white Christian? See, I don't like the idea of them being black churches out there or Asian churches out there. I get why that happens. I understand. But you know what? We're just churches. We're churches with different ethnicities who love different cultural expressions. And it's beautiful. And we should be able to go to these and hear the same exact gospel. Amen because we serve the same Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see why the labels, when placed in the wrong position, begin to govern things in ways that are not ultimate? And they begin to be what we call identity politics, it's being called. But here's, I'm going to just throw that out. I don't think it's identity politics. You see, because I hold a label. I hold a very strong label. And it's a label that honestly divides against all other labels. And that label is called Christian. You see, as a Christian, I hold a very strong label, and it's a religious label. And that religious label looks at the other religious labels and says they're wrong. I don't think the Muslim is correct. I don't think the Mormon is right. I do not think that the Hindu is correct. Just as much as I don't think somebody who lives purely as a Republican or purely as a Democrat is correct. Because if a label like a Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, or other rises up to the level of which we would hold as Christianity, it's a religion. In fact, it's held religiously. Listen to the dialogue out there, my friends. Listen to how it's being held. I sat down with an atheist friend just a few months ago in a conversation with him over at BJ's. We're having a blast. I've known him all of my life. Talking about life, catching up on, the, catching up on what was going on. And finally, when we're done with kind of the chit-chat about life, he goes, he gets, he gets all impassioned. He sits there and goes, all right, Greg, let's talk about the important things. I'm like, sweet, we're going to talk about God and the proofs of God and whether or not, how we disagree about this. And he goes, Trump, what do you think? And I'm like, that's a conversation that's important? When it came to me and it comes to ultimate things, that's religious conversations. And suddenly what, had, what I realized, in the absence of a God, his religion was his politics. In the absence of a practical, true God, our positions become our religions. When they hold an upper-level label that I subjugate everything else by, that's religious because they answer the four basic questions of religion or worldview. And the number one question is, what is a human being? What are we? Where did we come from? 
Different ideologies, different political positions, and different religions answer that question radically different. And they may answer the same, oh, we're all from God. But then the second question is different. Well, what's wrong with us then? Their politics splits all over the place. It's education, it's socialization, it's freedoms. And different political viewpoints hold to different things, believing either man fully good or man's evil or partially good or whatever. And in that, they split. Religiously, they split. We're made in the image of God. No way. We're just a creation of Allah. No, we're just the imagination of, of Brahman. You've got all of these different answers. And so how do you solve the problem is determined upon what you think the problem is. And ultimately, that, that solution becomes a religious answer. And when you fight at the level of religion, you're going to have trouble. And so, so in the absence of a centered Christian faith in our culture, all positions are rising to religions. And what we are entering into now is not a world informed of the scripture or informed by the scripture, but informed by our political or racial or ideological positions. And which is why we need to be careful how we hold these labels. We all hold them. Again, let's be clear. It's not wrong to have a position. It's wrong to make it ultimate because that's not the labels that God gave us. You see, we need to be careful for a couple of reasons. First of all is that labels shape our thoughts. These kind of labels really do shape our thoughts. They answer these questions in such a way that they form the other answers that we receive. In fact, a, an easy way to show this is how it shows up in the Bible. In the book of Mark, we meet a, we have these characters that appear named the Pharisees. We all love to bash on the Pharisees, so let's just join it. And so... The Pharisees are an interesting lot of people. These guys are the most conservative desired, uh, most conservative religious people in Israel. These guys want to love God. They believe in the whole Bible. They haven't limited any of it. They don't believe any more of the Bible, just the books that we have. This is the books the Pharisees were like, yes, these are them. They believe in a resurrection. They believe in the angels. They believe in King David. They believed in the creation. They argued for these things. And this, they were the conservative guys. And they were so desirous to be faithful to God, they had created this thing called the traditions of the elders. These extra biblical laws they had created so that they wouldn't break any of God's laws. One of those extra biblical laws that they created shows up here in Mark chapter 7 and engages with Jesus. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Now I need to pause here for a second. What's so wrong about washing things? Didn't we all know that um, cleanliness is next to godliness? Anybody get raised with that one, right? You got that used against you all the time? No, it's not true. It's not in the Bible. Um, but it is true to the Pharisees. Cleanliness was next to godliness. You cleansed yourself for religious reasons. We don't clean ourselves for religious reasons. We clean ourselves because to not to is gross, right? If you don't wash your dishes, I'm not eating at your house. That's just how this works because there's, you're leftover nasty in that bowl. That's not, that's, that's not how they do this. This is purely religious. They want to be washed up because they don't want anything that's defiled them to ruin their relationship with God. 
And so Jesus engages this. They say, why aren't your guys washing? What's going on? The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's not very nice, but Jesus kind of just directly nails him. He says, listen, this is what he says. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. In order to establish your tradition, this is what he goes into. They had set up these laws so well they had ignored what God had said. And he says, There's the, here, want to hear the laws are? Moses said, honor your father and mother. This one, the Ten Commandments. Whoever revile, and he said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. And so he says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Jesus gives us a great principle here in dealing with our, our positions of thought. He says, listen, you can get to the place where you and I have believed these ideas for so long, we end up accepting ideas that have nothing to do with our faith. I have listened to some politically minded people who have accepted some ideas and I'm like, that is so unbiblical, that's ridiculous. But they believed it because of their political position, not because they thought it through with the scriptures. Here are the Pharisees who have believed that if they give everything over to God in their life, including themselves, that if their parents come forward and say, hey, son, we had you and you're doing well, and we're now in retirement. In other words, dad can't go out to the field anymore and work hard. He can't live in the sun that way. Neither can mom. We need your help. Oh, sorry, mom and dad. I gave it all to God. They've nullified God's very reason he gave the commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. See, having lots of children was a retirement plan of the ancient world. They were supposed to support their parents in old age and enable them to live when they got to that point that they couldn't survive on their own. It was a way of giving back and making sure that you blessed and honored your elders. And we thought it was just for our kids not to talk back to us. No, it's... And so what Jesus says is, because you think you gave it all to the church... You don't get to help your your parents? Maybe you should take some back. It's no good if you give all your wealth over to the church and your whole life and then turn around and dishonor your parents by not supporting them when they need you. And and so, you know, here, that's why at the church we say give a tenth. Don't give all. Use that 90% correctly. And so God works through that with these guys. And Jesus is saying, hey, you've accepted something that's not of the word of God. And so we should be able to defend the position from the word of God that we hold, not just because, hey, that's what the tradition of the elders or our tradition or whatever tells us we should. Does that make sense? And so what we need to see is that the labels shape our thinking. They also shape our thoughts about other people. You see, labels aren't just things that get smacked on us. Labels are something we smack on other people, isn't it? We can use a label to be a pejorative, but here's the funny thing about labels. Labels work both ways. Sometimes we think a label is one thing when other people think a label is another thing. I'll give you an example. The word homeschool. See, that gives different environmental feelings to people. On one side, I use the word homeschool, and there's a group of people who go, oh, those poor children, they're not being socialized, they're strange, because their kids are in public school. 
And they go like, oh, I don't think that should be done. And you know, all this stuff about homeschool. And that I don't get it. And why did they do that? And, and then you've got the other side who homeschools. And they go, of course we're homeschooling. You think socialization is so my kid can cuss, know all the different positions of what you want to know and, and all this other stuff before they're ready? No way. I want to have an, an engagement with my children. I want them to know these things. I get to direct them. And so for some, homeschool is a great word. And public school is the bad word. In fact, I know some homeschoolers who use public school like as a punishment. If you don't write that, I'm going to send you to the public school. Okay, mom. You know, that's a... And, you know, and people who, li- who love public school, they say, but this is, re- it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. It gives education to all children regardless. And it's powerful and it lifts kids up from their positions. And yes, it does. It's funny how we like to use labels and load them with our own thinking and our own terminology and slap them on people. How many of us have met a Muslim in our neighborhoods and slapped on them unknowingly the word terrorist before you've even gotten to know them? Before you've even found out what, what they believe about Islam? How many of us have met somebody who's, a, who's gay, a lesbian, transgender or something and automatically felt fear or revilement or anger because you think they're trying to take away your rights or whatever? instead of engaging them as a person and meeting them where they're at. It's just easy to take a label and smack onto a person as much as it is for them to smack it onto us. Bigot, jerk, homophobe, Islamophobe, whatever they want to use, they bring labels all the time, as do we. You see, we're not immune to this problem of using labels in these ways. Even in the church, when we all get along, right, we're running around going, Calvinist, Arminian. If you don't know what those are, don't worry about it. Oh, I've heard people get mad at each other over, you're a young earther, you're an old earther, you're ignorant. Well, you're a liberal. Oh, well, you're the, and bing, bing, bing over these theological issues. I mean, end times, come on, people. It's like, which one are you? Well, I believe in this rapture. Well, yeah, I don't believe in a pre-trib. I believe in a post-trib. Well, I believe in a mid-trib. Well, I believe in a pre-wrath. Well, I believe in a millennium. I don't have a millennium. Well, I'm all millennial. I'm post-millennial. I'm pre-millennial. Hi-yi-yi, you know what I just did? I give you almost all the positions, and there are more. You know what we are here at Olive Branch? We don't want to get in those arguments. We want to be on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and I'm not saying that it's not important to know. Here at Olive Branch, what we say is, yeah, you're going to have a position, but we're going to have the essentials first. You know what you need to know? That Jesus Christ died upon the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead to reconcile you to God. That if you've accepted that by trusting in his promise, you will have eternal life and God has accepted you into his family and you will enter into heaven. That's the salvific beliefs. Everything that makes sure that is true is called the essentials. And so the word of God is inerrant because if you stop believing this is inerrant, guess what? It's a slippery road to this is all just myth and who cares? The gospel is what you think it is. If Jesus isn't born of a virgin, regardless of how difficult it is to explain in a scientific time period, Jesus, therefore, is one who is like us and has sinned. And he is not a candidate to save us from our sins. And he is not God. And there is no trinity. And therefore, love is not the center of our ethic or beliefs. And the gospel falls apart. But you know what? whether we have free will or don't, or whether God's in control of every little minute detail or there's some things that he, he gives freedom to, you know, those are great conversations and we ought to argue kindly and lovingly from the word of God 
and enjoy that we get to have these conversations. But to split up churches and tell people who are young earth or old earth they can't be Christians because da 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 that's not what we're here about. We're not here to divide for those reasons because that would be taking a theological label and lifting it to the ultimate label. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We're governed by the word. And what I want to say is that we can get like the Pharisees where we put our theology above other things and they can end up shaping all of our ideas altogether. John 8, 44 through 45 through 48 shows the ultimate result of this kind of thinking when you take a theology to the top. Here the Pharisees are again and Jesus has just done a miracle in talking to them. And then Jesus says to them, after this debate, he says, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe in me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he says, I am your God. I'm here in your midst. And the Jews, meaning the Pharisees, answered him saying, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? You see, this is what happens when we get into these kind of conversations of labels. We don't listen. We don't engage what the other person has said. We just have conflict, and conflict occurs when labels and positions collide. That's what you're seeing right now, because these labels have become the highest evaluative form. They are the religions. It is now time for religious argumentation. That's where the passion comes from. That's where the yelling comes from. That's where the argumentation comes from. You know if you're holding on to something too tightly, if you get super angry and emotional about it, and you don't know why. And so here, he says, here's the conflicts that occur. You see it again. I'll give you one more reference of the Pharisees where it happens. Jesus has this demon-oppressed man who is blind and mute. He was brought to him, and he heals him. And all the people are amazed, and they say, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they didn't see it. They just hear about it. They say, yeah, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, this man casts out demons. I can't accept that. I'm not even going to look at the evidence. I'm not even going to examine the problem. And so if we find ourselves there, we're in a difficult place because we want to fight for our label instead of listen. Do you know, Paul, here's Paul's solution to this. In the early church, in the church of Corinth, he received news from a person named Chloe that, hey, something bad's going on in the church of Corinth. And so he said to them, he wrote back to them, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that you, there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or was he or were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? And yet still we run around, I follow Luther. I follow Calvin. Well, I follow Arminius. I follow John Wesley. Well, I follow Chuck Smith. Well, I follow, I follow, I follow. We're no different. We all do it whether it's John Darby or whether it's Schofield or whether it's Ryrie or whether it's Moody or whether, whoever you've chosen. I'm not saying we can't emulate great theologians, but we never raise them above Christ and his word. And that's what he's saying. Hey, guys, you need to agree that there'd be no divisions among you. There are divisions among us. 
We have differing opinions about things. But how do we handle these differing opinions? We need to be able to get to where we agree. And so, he, so we end up with this. Here's your first principle. And how do we get to where we agree? It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, the word kingdom is a political terminology. You want, to be, you want to have one kingdom, and that is the rule of God himself. See, we're under his rule. We're under his kingdom. When you became a Christian, when you trusted Jesus Christ, reconciled your relationship with God, he became your king. He became your ruler, your master, your lord, your savior. He is the commander of our lives. And so when we enter into these conversations of position, it's all governed under the kingdom, not governed under our opinion. It's all governed under how he gave us his ethic and all these rules. And he summed it up in two very simple commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love him as he has laid it out, as he's told us about himself. So know his word and obey his word and hold to his truths. But love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor and, and connect with them appropriately. It doesn't say change your vision or your viewpoint. No, we hold to the word of God and we don't have to fear that somebody's going to steal or be right or, or ruin our political viewpoint or whatever. Yeah, we're going to have opinions that change, but they can't change your salvation. And we can mess up on political opinions, but God is gracious. And so we can be gracious. We can love our neighbors. In fact, it's a simple way to do this. Jesus gave it to us in Matthew seven twelve. He said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, so also do to them. This is the law and the prophets. Next time you enter Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you go, and in whatever conversation you enter into, this should be foremost on your mind. Write it down, put it on top of your, on top of your, put it as your screensaver on your computer, wherever, when you open your phone, you know, unwrap it off of it or something. I don't care, but it needs to be in our face constantly. Because here's the problem. This doesn't say do to others before they do to you. This doesn't say, hey, do to others like they did to you. This isn't, hey, I'm going to do to them like I hope that they would do to other people. No, this is do to others as you would have them do to you. Like you want to be treated, so treat others. So if you want to be understood, if you want your position to be understood, then go understand other people's positions. If you want to be listened to, listen. If you want the right to speak, give the right to speak. See, that's what the golden rule is about. If we want to engage in this world and see political positions stop being so heated, we need to be the first to live out the very ethic we're inviting. Love others as you want to be loved. And in this begins a dialogue of civility. Enables us to open the conversation between races, ethnicities, all that stuff, even in political viewpoints, in religious viewpoints, because we approach people from our vision that they're all made in the image of God. Amen? They're all valuable human beings. They're all worthy of being listened to, even when they're wrong. Because we want to be listened to even when we're wrong. And we're wrong a lot of times. Now, what I want to do then is realize then that James is right. And we're slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. 
And if you're too invested in a political label or some other label and it's anger that you're feeling, man, hatred's not the answer to somebody else's hate, love is. Watched an interesting documentary this week called Unexpected Courtesies. It's kind of following a man named Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a, is a man who is a, just an incredibly gifted African-American uh, pianist who's played in all kinds of various kinds of music, played throughout the rock and roll eras with all of these different amazing rock and roll and blues artists. And one day as he's in the 80s, as he's hearing about all the KKK and all the neo-Nazi clan stuff, he goes, you know what? Hmm. How can they hate me if they don't know me? And he took that to the streets and he got engaged and he sat down and started meeting with grand dragons and, or whatever wizards, however that stuff works out. And he would invite him to his home and sit face to face with them and become friends. To this day, in his garage, he has dozens of grand wizard robes and dragons robes and KKK members and neo-Nazi flags all in a collection because every time they got to know him, these men would turn around and eventually realize that they were wrong and hand their stuff to him saying, I've left. I want you to have this. See, he didn't fight back with hatred. He fought back with love and civility. And he used this as his ethic. Treat others like you want to be treated. And one by one, he has overcome heart after heart after heart by being a man who is loving. This is the vision and the time period that you and I have been given because we don't have to fear somebody's going to steal away our label. Some, we don't have to fear somebody's going to tear away from us the vision that God has given us. We have the word of God that stands true in all situations and all times. And the other thing is he's given you a label of position so that you can engage without fear. What is those labels? Here's your first label that God has granted you. He calls you a citizen of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, we can have political positions, but they're secondary to the citizenship of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our King. He is our Lord. His ethic is our way. And as we approach the poor, we approach it from the citizenship of heaven. As we approach the uneducated, we approach it as a citizen of heaven. As we approach the sinner and the saint, we approach it from the guidelines of the citizen of heaven. When we approach this world, we come in as those who do not belong in this world any longer because our land, our lives, and our honor is resting in a greater kingdom far beyond our own. From there... From there, my friends, we find our voice. It's not a voice of hatred, it's a voice of love. It's a voice of relationship, of treating others as we would be treated, of keeping the kingdom of God first and keeping it on our mind. Colossians 3.1, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Be of such heavenly mindset that you are purely earthly good. See, you can be a great heavenly mindset and you will always be of earthly good because you will see people as the image of God and you will love them. And you will treat people beyond their political ideologies and their labels and you'll see what God has called them and you will love them for what God loves about them. And that'll dispel the dangers and the darkness and the angers. And sure, one day they may not like that and they may raise up and call us what they will call us, but we will honor our Lord and not bend from his call. And though they take our lives, we will honor him. And though we may suffer, we will suffer for righteousness' sake, 
And this is what God has given us. And that's why not only are we citizens of heaven, but you have been given a job. Your role is you're an ambassador. We have been labeled as ambassadors. We have been labeled as those who live in this world to make a good argument, the good connection between the kingdom of heaven and their issues. That's why we drive in the gospel. You see, this is it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And this is what we're talking about. Guys, this world is not broken for ideological reasons. We're all equal, broken in sin. The division is ultimately between us and God. We've been called to reconcile that. We've been called to call them to be forgiven of their sins. We've been called to guide them, not into a republicanism or a Democrat vision of, of Christianity. No, into the kingdom of God and to be ambassadors for him, guided by his word and his ethic. And in that, we make the difference. And so keep your mind on the heavenly things and engage in your culture as an ambassador would. No ambassador goes insulting the country they're an ambassador of. They go to make peace. And that's what we're called for in this unique time. We get to make peace. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Don't become stained by and sullied by the anger and the argument. But be a people of peace. For blessed are the peacemakers. They see God. Guys, this is our opportunity in the midst of a firestorm of ideologies to love and to serve others as Christ taught us to by treating them as we want to be treated, by being civil and holding to the kingdom of heaven above all. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a people who are broken, easily distracted by the the fears and the difficulties around us. And in a society in which there is so much turmoil, yes, we are to fight against evil, but we do so from your kingdom's ethic. And so help us, God, to become a people who live according to that ethic, who see human beings as the beautiful image of you, And yet, with the solution of the gospel to bring to everyone on this earth. So activate us, God. Enable us to begin to preach that beautiful, reconciling truth wherever we go. That you would be glorified. That you would be well known. And that more people would be mended in their relationship with you. So help us not to be labeled by the wrong things. But to be labeled as your citizens. As your children and ambassadors on this earth. We ask for your help to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.